Colossians chapter 3. This has been a wonderful study. We are number 65, message 65 of this study. It's just been a great joy to go through this book with you and to see how Paul continuously magnifies the supremacy and the all-sufficiency of Christ through this book while combating the, the error of the Gnostics and false teachers. Tonight we'll be looking at verse 25, but I want to, I want to read the context of it. I want to start in verse 18, and we'll read to verse, or chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and for there is no respect of persons. This is our text tonight there. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you have a master in heaven. So last week we looked at verses 22 to 24, where we saw that God's people, his elect, have a, have a, singleness, a singleness in heart in serving the Lord. We do all things here in service to the Lord because we desire for the gospel to go forth. It's, it's all about Christ. It's all about what he's done. In the preaching and everything we do, we desire to, to exalt and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, everything we do, we do unto him. We do unto him. But that's not just here at the church. This, is, this applies to, as we've seen in the text, this applies to our everyday lives too. We seek to magnify the Lord and glorify the Lord in our lives. And we seek to be servants of God and not, not, not uh, man-pleasers, as the scriptures say there, but servants unto the Lord. And we do all things heartily unto him and not unto men. Verse 22 brought before us that, again, we're not to be man-pleasers. We're, we're not to do things to be seen of others. We're not to do things to be seen of others. It says, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye services, man pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Fearing God. So whether we're at home or at church, we're to do all things for his glory, honor, praise. In the singleness of heart, fearing God. Fearing God. And again, we looked at, Brother Tim brought it out too in the reading, or, or that, that this is a, this is a, in his prayer, actually, that it's a reverent fear, beloved. It's not a slavish fear. It's a reverent fear that we have, that we have of the Lord. And, and the fear of the Lord, again, is the beginning of, of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. But the fear of the Lord, that's what the Lord, when he saves us, we have a fear of the Lord that we never had before. In awe of the Lord that we never had before. Because he's revealed himself to us who he is. And he, and, and he continues to do that in our journey here. He continues to reveal more and more of himself to us through the preaching of the word, 
through the study of the word. He reveals himself. The Holy Spirit reveals more and more of who God is, Christ, to who Christ is. As I said, we, we preach, gospel preachers preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. That means it's unfathomable. It means you can't, it's a bottomless sea. It's a bottomless sea, beloved. So again, we looked at how the fear spoken of here is a reverent fear. A reverent fear, not a slavish fear. He hath sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverent is his name. Psalm 111.9. Holy and reverent is his name. Then we looked at verse 23. Where we're instructed to do all things heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord as unto men. Then in verse 24, we looked at how Christ is our exceeding reward. And we know Genesis the Lord told Abraham, I am your exceeding reward. I am. So the Lord is the believer's reward. And what an inheritance, beloved, we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. God, our Father, has appointed his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our Lord and Savior. To be our Lord and Savior. And, and we are heir of all things because of our blessed Redeemer. Because of our blessed Redeemer. Our blessed Redeemer has met all the conditions of the everlasting covenant of God for us. For us. In our place. As our substitute. All of God's elect have an inheritance. They have an inheritance. Because scripture declares in Christ we are Abraham's seed, right? And heirs according to the promise. Do you know that right now while, while you sit and listen, you have an inheritance already? You have an inheritance? Do you, you have an inheritance that is incorruptible. Now on earth here, things become corruptible, don't they? Our inheritance is incorruptible because of who it's in. It's in Christ. Therefore, it can't be spoiled by man. You see the foolishness that religion proclaims when they, well, and they can lose their salvation because it's not of God. But you see, we proclaim a salvation that is, that is an, an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled. And scripture says, and that fadeth not away. For how long? For how long does that, does that inheritance not fade away? For eternity. For eternity. Because of who it's in. It's in Christ and him alone. So it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It fades not away. And then it's reserved for us in heaven. There's a place for every one of God's people in heaven. When you make a reservation at a restaurant, what do they do? They put on the table, right? For however many people are sitting there. Reserved. And when you get to that place, where do you sit? Right for the reservation, right? Beloved, rejoice. Though we toil through this world, we go through the woes of this world, we have an inheritance. 
reserved for us in heaven. Oh, that brings God's people great joy. Great joy. And it's because it is in God himself who predestinated us to obtain this inheritance according to his own purpose and his own will. In Christ Jesus our Lord. We believe and proclaim that salvation is of the Lord. It's not our doing. Therefore, that inheritance and that salvation and that, that, that inheritance that's reserved for me in glory, it's in Christ. It can't be defiled. It's incorruptible. And it'll never fade away, beloved. Never. Oh, what great joy God's people have when we study these precious truths. When our Lord Jesus bought us under the sound of the gospel and revealed Jesus Christ and his perfect redemption for us by the Holy Spirit, he regenerates us. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. And what does he do? He gives us a new heart, doesn't he? He gives us a new heart. And when we heard the truth, we believed the truth. Why? Because we were regenerated. Because we're born again. God had granted us faith and repentance. Faith to believe on, on Christ Jesus our Lord. And repentance to turn away from our sinful life. My. And beloved, if you're a believer... He's still working in you. The Holy Spirit's still working, conforming you to the image of Christ, bringing you joy when you hear the gospel preached and proclaimed, when you hear salvation is done, it's finished. My. So the believer in Christ serves the Lord, as we see in the latter part of verse 24. Look at this. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of, your, of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. And this serving is not forced. The believer willingly serves Christ from a grateful and redeemed heart, from a regenerated heart. And we delight to do our Father's will. We serve, we, we serve his exalted Christ, don't we? That's who we serve, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's our Savior, he's our Redeemer. We serve with gladness. It's an honor to serve our great king. And this honor, think of this, this honor has been bestowed upon the saints of God. That we should be servants of the Most High. That we should be sons and daughters of the Most High. Right? His children, redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it. And just stand in awe and in reverence. Because this is gospel truth. We have this in Christ. We have this in Christ. And what happens? All glory goes to our great God. When, when we have this revealed to us, when we have revealed to us even that God by his divine providence saved us and then, and then God by his divine providence opened doors of opportunities for us to serve him. 
What does it make us do? We just stand in awe. We just stand in awe. All we have, and think of this, all we have, beloved, and all we are, was ordained by our majestic God before time began. It was ordained, if you're a believer, it was ordained by God for you to be a believer before time began. What love. What mercy. That God would... That God loved me when I hated him by my actions and my words. Yes. And if you're a believer, you too. Isn't that amazing? That's love beyond compare. That's, that's unfathomable love. And because of that, the believer says, all glory goes to our great God for all that he allows us to do. And this brings glory to his name. Glory to the name of, above all names, the one who we want to have praised and exalted, the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that, let us look at verse 25 tonight. We'll see the universe, universality of the fact that God is no respecter of persons. And the name of the message is, the name of the message is no respect of persons. God is no respecter of persons. Whether they are rich or poor, God is no respecter of persons. Whether they are a slave or a master, they that doeth wrong will receive that which is due. This is a sobering portion. This one verse here. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. He shall be paid, and one commentator said, he shall be paid in his own coin. He shall be paid in his own coin. The wrongdoer shall bear the penalty of the wrong. They will receive their reward, their payment, and the justice of God shall be satisfied. Scripture declares here there is no respect of persons with him, with God. And we know from the verse preceding this, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve Christ. In the verse following it, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that, that you also have a master in heaven, that the one who is judge of all has no respect to persons. And the phrase here, respect to persons, usually implies that an offender, simply for his rank or position, or the class that they are in, escapes the penalty, a mode of partiality not applicable 
to those of the lower class. Nothing's changed. What it means is the wealthy can get away with things. The super rich, they can buy their way out of things. But there is one. And we'll see tonight. There's one here spoken of in this text who's no respecter of persons. This will not happen with the judge of the earth. We may receive injustice from some as God's servants, and we do, while we are upon this earth, but the wicked shall be judged. Not at a human tribunal, where their rank may protect them, but before him, who in his decisions has no respect of persons. Listen to the words of verse 25. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Justice in general is giving everyone their due. Giving everyone their due. That which we have rightly earned. By the breaking of the law. And beloved, we've all broken God's law an infinite number of times. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. Turn if you would there. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. We will see that our God, He is the just one. He is the just one. He is just and right. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. Think of that in light of Christ. Perfect. Perfect. His, his work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment a God of truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And without iniquity, just and right is he. God is just and right. His ways are perfect. Our ways are imperfect. Every child of Adam is born a sinner. Christ is born sinless. Scripture declares this. That the judge of the earth will do right. He is the he is the God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. We just saw that in Deuteronomy thirty two four. Do you know the wicked shall receive their reward? Scripture says, Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud. Think of this. There's folks who think because they're supposed good persons, good people, that God will accept them, right? That's what they claim. Not knowing that the scriptures declare there's none righteous, no, not one. Or because they, they attend church and, and, and uh, they're putting their faith in the church that they go to, that, oh, because we go to this church, we're saved. There's people who believe that. But God is no respecter of persons. God will accept no one based upon their social standing in life or their wealth 
or their lack of wealth. The only way God will accept sinners is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Job 34.19, Scripture declares this, How much less to them to, to him that accepteth not the persons of princes, nor regardeth the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. God is the maker of all who are rich and the maker of all who are poor. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. He's our creator. And there are those, turn if you would to Psalm 49, there are those who who trust in their wealth, who boast in their riches. Yet, do you know that they cannot redeem anyone's soul? Not even their own? Not even their own? Psalm 49, verses 6 and 7. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. So think of the richest person in the world. They can't redeem anyone else and they can't redeem themselves. What are they going to offer the Lord? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The only thing God will accept for a ransom for a sinner is the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. There's no other hope but Christ. No other hope but Christ. And he will one day render to those outside Christ according to their works and without respect of persons, rich, poor, strong, weak, will all one day stand before he who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Psalm 62 Verse 12. Turn, if you would, to Zephaniah chapter 3 and then put your finger in Acts chapter 7. Zephaniah chapter 3 and Acts chapter 7. God is infinitely just, beloved. He's infinitely just. Do you know he's called the just Lord in the Old Testament? And he's called the just one in the New Testament? Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 5. In Acts chapter 7, verse 52. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 5. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. Oh, beloved, the just Lord. And then turn over to Acts chapter 7, verse 52. Christ is called the just one. Acts 7, 52. Oh, he who will judge will judge justly. 
Acts 7, verse 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. That's Christ, beloved. Of whom ye have now of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. The just one there in the Greek is one word, and it's defined as this righteous, observing divine laws. The Lord Jesus Christ is the righteous one. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who fulfilled the law in our place. The Greek definition continues with virtuous, keeping the commands of God. It continues, innocent, faultless, guiltless. This is our Savior, beloved. Used of him, Christ, whose way of thinking, feeling, and acting is wholly conformed to the will of God. All we are are sinners. He was pure, spotless. Every thought, every feeling, everything he did, wholly conformed to the will of God. And he's our substitute, beloved. Perfect, innocent, faultless. And then the definition goes on to say, only Christ truly. Approved of or acceptable of God. God is satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. And then it finishes with this. Just, righteous. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? He giveth to all their due. He is not swayed by anyone's supposed power, beloved. Or their greatness or the position in life. Because none is greater than he. None is greater than he. And none has more power than God. He can't be swayed by humans. He created us. So scripture declares he's no respecter of persons. He's God over all. We're his creation. He's the creator. He's so far above us. He's so far above us. And he does whatever he pleases. And because he's so far above us, because he's God... Think of it. I brought this up before. When, when you make a, a clay pot, the pot doesn't say, what are you doing? I want to be a candlestick. It doesn't do that. It's molded and made into whatever you fashion it into. Beloved, we're the, we're the clay. He's the potter. Man may bribe other men on earth, and they do to get out of things, don't they? But in, in the day of his wrath, Man will be utterly powerless before the great king and sovereign of the universe who has no respect to supposed honors or outward excellencies. No respect towards any of that. So we, we see here before us, one commentator brought this up and I thought this was magnificent. We see here before us the impartiality of divine justice. It can't be moved. It can't be swayed. The righteous judge is not swayed by the outward circumstances and qualifications of men. Again, whether they're rich or poor, he sees not as man sees. He looks on the, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. 
But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For a man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. The justice of God will come to pass, beloved. As God declares himself to be eminently holy and just, his holy law has been broken time and time again by sinful man, and he has stated that he will by no means clear the guilty, which means that he will render justice to the unsaved for the things which they have done. Think of what happened. Did a little bit of looking at some history today. Think of what happened to some who have persecuted the church in the past. Retribution fell upon them in this life, and it will on the great day, the great day of judgment also. Herod the Great, the slayer of the innocents, first persecutor of Christianity, was overwhelmed with agonizing physical disease, and his numerous family was extinct in a hundred years. Pilate, who condemned Christ, was soon after expelled from office and committed suicide. Nero, after slaying thousands of Christians, attempted to take his own life, but failing through cowardice, called others to his aid. The persecutor, Dominican, was murdered by his own people, as was Caius and, and uh, Severus. The Roman Empire, Claudius, was poisoned he was a persecutor of Christianity. The Roman emperor Gallus was sentenced to death and executed by his own people. He was a persecutor of Christianity. The Roman emperor Arlean well, was murdered while waiting in, in Thrice to cross into Asia Minor. And they all died violent deaths after persecuting Christians. God's justice and wrath will not be thwarted. But think on this, we who believe, the elect of God, think of this. Justice being satisfied. Justice has been extinguished against us. In the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not get what we deserve. We will not hear what those in Matthew 23 will hear. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. We'll never hear those words. The believer's sins have been bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ by the shedding of his precious blood to purchase us and to redeem us from our sins. And who has made us to differ, beloved? Who has made us to differ? God and God alone. We will hear, Come ye blessed of my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Undeserving, 
unmerited sinners, or mercy given to us, we who are sinners by birth, nature, and choice, and we we'll hear the words, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's mercy. That's, that's mercy beyond comprehension, isn't it? And the only thing that made us to differ is God's distinguishing grace, which was set upon us from eternity in Christ Jesus our Lord. Turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel 16. We see God's, God distinguishing David from his brothers. And think of this in light of you and I, who God has distinguished from our fleshy brothers or sisters, Think of this. God's distinguishing grace, beloved. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for whom I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hear it? He will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto him, me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass, when they were come, he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Surely. The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Sham out of pass and by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen this. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and bought him in. Now he was ruddy, and wherewithal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. 
So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let us ponder this, beloved, we who believe. Has not the Lord made us to differ from our brothers and sisters in the flesh, in family and friends? Why do we believe and they do not? Is this not the distinguishing grace of God at work in our lives? Stand amazed. Stand amazed. Stand amazed, brothers and sisters in Christ, at the salvation of the Lord, at God's distinguishing grace manifested in your life. It's amazing. It leaves the believer in absolute awe because we know how undeserving we are. We know we don't merit this. But Scripture declares this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? Only God. Only God. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? We didn't work for our salvation. We received it. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? We don't have anything to glory in but in Christ. Only in Christ. Why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Let's close with this. Something interesting to note from verses 16 to 24. In chapter 3, the word Lord is mentioned seven times. Seven times. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in the word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but in singleness of, of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Paul's going, ting! Get your eyes on Christ. Ting! The musical tuning fork, remember? And he's done it all through this epistle, beloved. All through this epistle. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 19. Something uh, interesting to note there is, is Paul is giving the Lord his rightful title, right? He's calling him Lord. He's Lord. It's a rightful title. We don't make Jesus Lord. He already is Lord. God beat us to it, like one of the, Brother Henry, I think, said that one time. God beat us to it. We don't make him Lord. He's already Lord. He's king. He's king. We're closed with this scripture here. Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16, beloved. And rejoice, rejoice. This is our Savior. This is our King. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, verse 11. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. That's our King. 
That's our Lord. And in righteousness he that judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he treadeth, note that, he's the only one. He treaded the, the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God in our place, beloved. And I, and he hath on his vesture, and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is our Savior. This is our Redeemer. To God be the glory. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before thy throne in awe, in absolute awe, at your majesty, in power. And Lord Jesus, we bow and proclaim, shall not the judge of the earth do right, do just, you, you do whatever you're pleased. And we are so thankful, we who are redeemed and so grateful that you purchased our souls on Calvary's cross and that everything that is required for our salvation is in you. You did it all. It is finished. Oh, Lord, help us to rest. Help us to trust in you, thee. As we go through this week, we love thee because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.